Have you ever found yourself wondering, what else can I listen to on the Osiris Network? Here's another great podcast you can check out. Hey, this is Godweed Evan. Uh, we are a podcast where uh, three friends force another friend, Evan. Hi. To listen to a band he doesn't want to listen to. Ween. It's a journey. It's wonderful. It's funny. And it's filled with great music. Except for the ween. <laughs> and the journey. <laughs> and the friends. So listen to it. Or oh. don't. That's what I wanted to do. Only on the Osiris Podcast Network. Dot com. <laughs> everybody, this is Donnie B from Female Centrics. We are the first female-hosted fish community podcast and part of the Osiris Podcast Network. So today, and actually for the next at least probably two episodes here, um, we have co-host Lauren is back with us. Hello. Hi, Lauren. Yay. And uh, we are guest of honor today. And the person we are interviewing is Kate Wiseman, who is the daughter of Eddie Wiseman, who is the co-founder of the 12 Tribes Cult, which is the purple bus that we all see on lot. So welcome, Kate. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. You are welcome. So we, I was pretty psyched because so Lauren had a like a, a beautiful like um, tinder date it wasn't even a tinder date but like morning <laughs> kate met on our beloved fish chicks yeah and uh yeah so talk about how you guys met because it's really cute two years now tinder was met. not involved by the way tinder, no tinder swiping <laughs> no. was done um but i think i swiped was, right she swiped right <laughs> history um i think I was, it was two years ago and I was moving, getting ready to move to Maine and I was on Fish Chicks for whatever reason that morning and people were talking about where they were from. Somebody had just, said, hey, where's everybody from? And yeah. so we all commented. And Kate said Peaks Island, Maine. And I looked up Peaks Island, Maine and it was in Portland, which was near where I was moving. And I messaged her and we... Text, I think we messaged and then we text message for a while and we're like, all right, I'm going to be out there September 11th. And I think we met like a week later. I thought it was like the next day. Maybe it was like a week. It was later. like a week later. Yeah. A week after I, I was settled and, and we decided to go into Mike Portland. Mike wasn't here yet though. Mike was not here yet. My husband had not moved. Okay. Um, And my, I was like, I asked my in-laws like, I'm going to go on meet a girlfriend. And they're like, wow, that's really quick. I'm like, <laughs> I know. Like, we're just going to meet and we're going to go downtown. And I think I had, we went, I was a little early and we went to Flatbread yeah. in Portland. And yeah, we that's just talked. History. And what I was so struck by was Kate's story because it is fucking, it's no, fascinating. We swear. It's it is fine. fascinating. And since I've known Kate for these two years, every time I hang out with her, I learn something more about her. And she is the strongest, most wonderful person I've ever met. And so I'm so happy that I get to spend this journey in Maine with somebody who lives literally two towns next to me. So it is. And I think we've been to since 
want to say how many shows have we been to? Like it's been a uh, good amount. Oh, but I we love went, you guys just hit the ground running. Yeah, we just like, hit the ground running, and mm-hmm. we did the gorge Absolutely. last summer. Kate's dream was to go to the gorge, and so we like <gasps> planned, a, it. and it was just it's awesome. And we both, you know, just really enjoy. She's a wonderful mother, and it's awesome. She watched my kids for me when I went to Camden. So, so sweet. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's Aww, so. I feel the same way about you. It's <laughs> cute. It's cute. Yeah. So Lauren gets in touch with me and says, hey, do you want to you know, talk to Kate? Kate's, you know, was part of for how long? 30 years? 30 years. Yeah. Because you were raised in. Born and raised. Mm-hmm. And Kate's ready to share her story with us, which is when when I did my pre-interview, I just, you know, I said before, I mean, it took a couple of days for me to. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's a lot here. So let's let's hop into this. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, Kate, like you, obviously, so your dad's Eddie Wiseman, who's a co-founder of this. And I think that, you know, when you and I first started talking, you really went back to like your grandparents and like where you mm-hmm. where where it all started. So, you know, we're going to sort of interject and we'll kind of flow through this because there's so much to this. So. Go ahead. Yeah. Where, where, where did this all start and, and how your family got involved and whatnot? Mm-hmm. So both of my parents were born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, my father was the only child of a wealthy family right in downtown Chattanooga. And he grew up with a maid, anything he wanted, super luxurious life. Where'd they get their money from? What was it? I don't know. I mean, I don't think they were filthy rich, sure, but like sure, they sure. had money. Gotcha, gotcha. Was it like um, an oil company or whatever? Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't say a rich family, but like a well, well off, off family. Well to do. Yeah. Sure. Um, my mother grew up on Lookout Mountain with barely food to eat. Sometimes she, a lot of times they went hungry. Um, my grandmother, sweetest woman in the world, she, her biological mother died when she was two of tuberculosis and her aunt and uncle raised her. And her aunt died of tuberculosis when she was 14. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And her uncle didn't know what to do with her, so he told her to go get married. So she got married and divorced within a year. And then she remarried my grandfather at 15 years old. Oh, my gosh. And he was a very, very, from what I've heard, he was a very abusive man. He um, was a fireman and a policeman in the town. He gambled all their money away. My grandmother was very beautiful, and he wouldn't let her out of the house with, like, short sleeves and a short and shorts. He was sure some man would take her, but he cheated on her all the time. Mm. He beat her. He was terrible. Mm-hmm. They had four kids in four years. and oh, At age 15. So, yeah. yeah she so was she... done having kids by, by the time she was 19. Wow. So my, um, my, the oldest was my Uncle Eddie. The second was my mom. And then she has two younger sisters. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know a whole lot. I just know that he was very abusive and that they were extremely poor. Mm-hmm. And so my mother, um, my grandmother finally got away from him when my mother was a teenager. At 15 years old, she was um, working three jobs and getting straight A's in school. Your mom was. My mom was. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have food to eat, but she would make her money and buy designer clothes because she didn't want anyone to know she was poor. Wow. Wow. And um, I'm not exactly sure when she and my grandfather got divorced and how that really went, but they did. And at 16 years old, my mother 
got her own apartment and moved my grandmother in with her because my grandmother was showing up every day with black eyes and bruises. Mm. She just had really bad luck with men. Yeah. Um, so my mom was a really high achiever. She went off to college and she ended up getting um, this really great job. She was a model. And um, she got picked out of like a thousand girls or something and got this great job in Miami. And um, actually, I should not go. When my mom was 15 working those three jobs, Mm -hmm. she um, worked at a gift store with my dad's girlfriend. My dad's four years older than her. Mm -hmm. And my dad would come in and have lunch with his girlfriend. And he really liked my mom because she was just super natural. Like she, didn't wear makeup. She just was herself. And, you know, his girlfriend was, he said, he told me that's why they broke up because she would never take her makeup, makeup off in front of him. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, anyway, so my mom and dad became friends, but they didn't date. And then um, a few years later, they ended up getting together and she got this job in Miami. My dad was a contractor. They moved down there and she started making a whole lot of money. And Modeling. Yes. Ah, cool. So anyway, I don't know the details of everything, but I know my dad got very heavily into cocaine, became a very big coke addict, um, and things were not well with them at all. How old were they around this time? They were in their early 20s. In the early 70s, this must have been then. Yes. Jesus, okay. Mm -hmm. My mom decided she loved my dad so much because she felt like Every other man had taken advantage of her, like wanted her for her looks or for this, but she had that friendship with my dad. So really, Mm, he was more valuable to her than anything. She was even, she had made a movie. Like she was definitely, um, had a very successful life ahead of her. Up and coming, yeah. Yeah. But she decided that she needed to... They needed something. So they went to visit their friends, these really good friends of theirs. And um, when they got there, they drove in the driveway and their friend Tom saw them drive in and they never came inside. So he went out to see what was going on. And my dad was so high on coke, he was strangling my mother and she was unconscious. Wow. So they went inside and had a really, really sobering talk. Mm -hmm. An intervention. Yeah, and she realized that Miami just was not the place for my dad. No, definitely not. Uh, they lived in Fort Lauderdale, and her job was in Miami. And she bought a piece of property in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they were just going to build a cabin out there and just move get away out there. from it all. Get away from it all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Homestead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're at a really low place in their life. I mean, my mom's having to give up her entire career for this person she loves who's yeah, and, it, you know, he's has this violent behavior, and, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of insecurities there. So they decided to go up to Chattanooga to say bye to their family. And on their drive up, neither one of them were religious, but on their drive up, they saw this tra- traveling church called Christ is the Answer. And they stopped, and they went to their service. And what they were, made, What made them stop? I don't know. You don't just that pull that. Whatever I, need I think to... they were just at such a low place in their their life. They were looking for a sign for like something. Okay. You know, like my mom told me once. My mom loved kids so much, and um, she said she and my dad were sitting in a circle, and they were all passing a joint around. And this woman passed the joint to her eight year old son, 
And it really affected my parents. And when they left, they were like, we don't have anything better than that to offer to our kids. Mm, interesting. And so they decided to not have kids until they had something better to offer them. Okay, yeah. And, and it was my, at that first meeting, like at that specific, they stopped at the... Yeah, they stopped at this crisis, the answer, and yep. they went up to the altar. I don't know how they do things sure, like that. Sure, sure, yeah. And they said, what should we do? And the people said to them, go home and find a Bible-believing church. So they get back to Chattanooga the next day. They go to a bookstore to buy a Bible. And my dad said, do you know anybody in this town that loves the Lord? And he said, well, there's this young couple that have been holding Bible studies once a week with a bunch of teenagers. You should go talk to them. So they went to their next Bible study, and it was Jean and Marcia Spriggs. Wow. And they had been praying, they said, for a couple, because they were all just single people, mm -hmm. for a couple and a truck and tools. And my dad had all of that. Showed up on the doorstep. And with... they were at such a low place that they said, where do we go? And... All they had to offer them was a closet. My parents lived in a closet, like a hallway closet. Wow. Yep. So, so at this point, they were almost like the chosen ones in a way. Like when they, like they were like praying for these people, and like your parents yeah, showed up. Yeah, but they hadn't. They weren't a cult yet. Yeah. They were just holding these Bible studies. Um, Gene Spriggs is, you know, he has. I don't know if he has a master's or what in psychology. He's very, yeah. He's I read very, very, yeah. The, he knew mm -hmm. what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He's very he religious. And, you know, so they were targeting the young people that sure. didn't know what to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's like, you know, you have your classic sort of character that yeah. is like the head of that. And, I mean, did your dad sort of have those characteristics as well, or was he more of like Yeah, a, my dad is yeah. a very natural leader. He's very easy to talk to. Sure. He, people love him. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. So, so they're at this, this, you know... Christ is the answer. Right, yeah. Like, point in their lives, and they, you know, they're there. And then, so where did sort of, you know, where did it, where did it veer off from there? You know, where, where did it go from that so point? they had all these young people kind of disillusioned with their lives. Now they have my parents, you know, my dad's a contractor. They decide to start building restaurants because that's where they can get a lot more exposure, mm -hmm. you know, people mm -hmm. coming in. And so over the next few years, they bought, they built seven restaurants in Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Now, and they were based on, it was from what I've read, and, and I might be wrong on this, but it seems like it was like a very, yes, they believed in the Bible, but it was a very like choice piece of it right no so they believe in the whole bible like the oh, new testament and the old testament sure um but they don't call themselves christians now how is that they look down on every other religion gotcha because okay. they are they are god's children everyone else is wrong sure mm -hmm. sure sure okay so you so your dad they, they start building restaurants and and then they start mm -hmm. reading like in in the bible in the book of acts where the early church came yeah. together and they sold, they gave, gave up all their possessions and moved in together and shared everything in common. Mm. And they wanted to base their life off the second book of Acts. The second book of Acts is yeah. what they yep. 
based of it. And so, and this is early 70s. So this is like when the like, hippie 70s. commune yep. sort of thing and whatnot going on now. Um, we'll get into this like in a little bit later, but like, is that kind of where the farm and Ina, the midwifery sort of so, piece? Because that's all Tennessee. Yeah. So then lots and lots of people were joining and then people started getting married. And then my mom got pregnant with my brother, Luke. Okay. And he was the first baby born in the cult. Oh, wow. Was it still the Christ is the answer or did you oh, no, change no. So it? They weren't Christ is the answer. Okay. They met an actual church they called actual... Christ is the answer. Okay. It was, it's oh, a traveling okay. church. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. they told them, go home and find a Bible believing church. So okay. they're not affiliated. Okay. Got but it. That's okay. just what got them. That's what got them into. God. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the first, I don't know how many babies, like both of my brothers were born in the hospital. Like the f- first, like, couple batches of kids mm-hmm. were born in the hospital. And then, honestly, I don't know why they decided to start having babies at home. I don't know if it was for financial reasons or, or if they felt that insurance, was... Probably insurance, maybe they didn't want to... Yeah. They have, would, would they have, have the financial means to pay for the births if when they were in the hospital? Well, they not have, then. Not they then. were very poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what would happen if there was complications? And then they would go, like, after that? Point. Is it just? Yeah. Then they would go to the hospital. Yeah. 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 Okay. So they were like trusting but bodies. Back in and, the sure. beginning, I mean, no. I mean, my mom almost died when she had my little brother. Literally. Really. Yeah. Wow. It's wow. amazing she didn't. But huh. anyway, so they started getting bigger. More babies were being born, and I know my mom really wanted to have babies at home, and she was very, very much geared towards being a midwife. So she and her best friend who had joined, um, well, they became best friends after she joined. She was a registered nurse. And her name was Billy Gilbreth. And they both went to the farm in Tennessee and trained under Ina May. She taught them so much stuff. They went to birth there. They just... Wow. She really gave them the confidence to have a baby at home. Oh, I remember... Um, this boy, he's four months older than me. He was the first baby born at home. His parents did not want to have him in the hospital. And they said, can you deliver my baby? And my, my mom was like, well, no, I mean, I, I don't know. And, yeah. and they, you know, they, they got an orange and like practice suturing on an orange. Like they, they were determined to give this woman her home birth. Orange. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like a vagina? I don't even know. <laughs> no, I don't. Right? No, it's not. It's but what like, we had in the kitchen that we can yeah, practice yeah, suturing yeah, like on. Like that's it. what yeah. we have. Was it an apple? <laughs> yeah, it's punctured. Yeah, so. so skin. It's like the skin. Then just wow. all the babies started being born at home unless there was a major complication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so. Uh, and my mom was a maid midwife. And your mom was a maid midwife. Across the whole. And did she, because she learned at the farm. Mm-hmm. So back it up just for a second for people who don't know what the farm is. The farm is, I mean, started as a commune, birth, yeah. like a birthing commune. And Ina, Ina May is Ina like May Gaskin. the queen of all the midwives. She is amazing. So I'm a birth doula. I had my first two in a hospital, but I had water births and natural and whatnot. And then I had my last one at age 40 at home. Amazing. And yeah, and it was great, you know. But so I've done a lot of study with like, that's that's like one of those like bucket lists someday, mm-hmm. you know, would love to, to go down there. So that was like the Mecca. That was a place that was a great place for her to go. Oh, and, yeah. you know, especially since 
midwifery, I believe, you know, really at that time wasn't, there wasn't really school for it. There wasn't, yeah. you know, they were really just knocking ladies out and, you know, have your babies on in the hospital. Like yeah. it was yeah. when, it, you know, that whole movement was happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my mom started going to births at the farm, seeing how they did it. And they finally just had the confidence to yeah. start doing it. So at this point, um, at this point, um, were you all living on the same piece of land or like... So I don't really know because, sure. uh, well, I wasn't born. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, your yeah. brother Luke was, I think that your brother Luke was born and then... And then my brother Nate. Nate, okay. Was born next two years, a uh, year and a half later. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, I was born in 79. So that kind of... So my brother Luke was born in 75. He was the first baby ever born there. And um, it started in 1972. It was at the very beginning. So then in about 1980, I believe, you know... Um, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee is the Bible belt of the country. They had a parade. The town had a parade. And by that time, I don't know how many members there were, but there were a lot because they had seven restaurants. In, in, in the, wherever. Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Oh, wow. Okay. And was it going by the 12 tribes at this point? No, they didn't was, have a name. They didn't have a name. No. They were just... Really? There was no... Tennessee. No. Yeah. Just, yeah. Whatever. whatever. Now, how did they get word of mouth out? Like, I mean, how did how did people join it's just sort of randomly? Well, I think like the 70s movement, you know, the sure. six, Woodstock had just happened. Mm -hmm. And like people were looking for peace and love. And that's really what they promoted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Like hippie, peace and love, have healthy all food. join on this, live on the same land and share and yeah. be. The hippie dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was born in 1979 and a year later. They had a big parade in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the whole entire community cult marched in the parade and took off their shoes and clapped the dust off their feet. And that's um, from a Bible verse that, like Jesus said, if you're not received, if, if you know, if, if someone doesn't receive my word, then I'll clap the dust off my feet and, like, leave the town, basically. So that was their, like, Exiting? Yes. Wow. So right before that, this couple had visited Chattanooga, Tennessee from Island Pond, Vermont. And he was a pastor and he had a small church and he they just ran into the restaurant and were floored by everything that they saw because that's what they were trying to do in Vermont. So they invited them, the whole community, to come. They opened their homes. To, yeah, the pastor went back and told his church about it and said, these people are the people we've been looking for. They're God's people. So they all decided to open their homes. Now, is this like hundreds? Like, yeah, like, at this point, it's hundreds. So did they know, I'm sorry, did they? Did this guy invite them after they did the shoe shaking? Or I was think that it before? was before. It was before. Yeah. So then they were like, we're just going to shake what? our shoes yeah, and we yeah. got a place now. Yeah. So. See you later. Wow. I wonder if there's pictures of that somewhere. That's crazy. I don't know, but my dad told me my grandfather, my grandfather <gasps> was 6'1", but he was big. Yeah. He picked up my dad. My dad, I think, was like 26 or something. He picked up my dad by his shirt with one hand off the ground <gasps> and said, don't you ever shame me like that again in my own town. Oh, my. Wow. Did wow. they talk after that? Yeah. They did. Yeah. Wow. So over the next year, everyone slowly moved to Vermont, mm -hmm. and we moved in 81. 
So it was you and your two brothers and your mom and dad. Yep. Right. So at this point now. Or the end of 80. I, I don't really know exactly sure. when I moved. So at this point, you like the cult starting to sort of, you know, there's still no name. Yeah, so they're start, but they've got restaurants in different areas. Well, they closed all those restaurants. They Ooh. literally one hundred. Oh, so they were like, "We're done." Moved we're out t- of the south. Okay. Yes. So they moved out of the south, and they were going to go to Vermont and continue yeah. the and restaurants. All moved to Island Pond, Vermont, which is a small town, and literally took over the town. We had fifteen houses in that town. Wow. How far from Burlington is it? Like kind of on a two yeah. hours. It's, it's the other side of Vermont, right the next to side. New Hampshire. Okay. It's very okay. close to Canada and very close to New Hampshire. Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay, so, and I know you were saying that there was, like, really turbulent times, like. Yeah. Yeah, so. So, they started, that's really when it really started being a cult. Mm. Like, uh, so, Jean and Marcia Spriggs are the founders of the cult. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jean Spriggs started having teachings, and he would say that he heard from God. And everyone believed him. Huh. He was very charismatic, wasn't he? Was he like tall and did he just ha- carry himself? Because I know like with, yeah. you know, the Mormon church, like Joseph Smith was super tall and he carried himself very like, and people just it's sort of mesmerizing, kind of classic, yeah. sort of cliche almost like, you know, cult leader. And sort he of had thing. the psychology background, so he, he knew did. how to. Yeah, he knew, you know, now that I've left, I've learned all these things. Like he knew we we're so poor. We didn't eat protein hardly ever. Um, so and, just mostly vegetarian? Is that yeah. what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly vegetarian, but just like not good, not enough vegetables. Just we were very poor. Um, anyway, so my, they opened, they built, they bought a big building in downtown Island Pond mm-hmm. and they opened a restaurant in the first floor. And then they started a print shop in the second floor to start printing out pamphlets to hand out to people to lure to get people. Get them in. When, yeah. Mm-hmm. The free papers, right? You're saying? The free papers. Yeah. 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 Probably I, all think, I think there, there's a few of those in that box that's missing mm-hmm. with the Joni extra vices. Yes. You'll go ahead. It. And yes. then on the third floor was like our celebration room is what they called it, where we would have all of our services and stuff. And every Sunday we would have, they called it Lord's Day we would have like an all day service. It would be like singing and dancing in the beginning. And then the little kids would go down to like daycare and then they would have teachings. Mm. And that's when Spriggs started like teaching God's word and everybody did what they were told. So you, and you were saying like that you, that he said he got these, like God talked to him or something. Yeah. And then, but no one just questioned it. It was just, yeah, no one questioned it. Wow. He does that a lot with, uh, these types of people. Yeah. Just comes to them. Just yeah. tells them. I know, the right? Word. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, would I know. <laughs> Tell nice things or what this yeah. and that, whatever. Okay. So, so at this point, yeah. there's lots and lots and lots of very little kids. And, you know, they, they're reading the Bible and in the Proverbs. Do you it remember says, these times? Like, this, oh, yeah. 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 Sure. It says, like, you know, just all this stuff in the Bible about disciplining children, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one proverb says, um, like discipline your son, beat him. He won't die. But like, basically it's better to beat your kid than to let them be disrespectful or, and 
they beat us. <sighs> yeah. I remember. So we um, were spanked with balloon sticks. These little, they're like reeds. They're, they're really old. I mean, that's what people used to sell as balloon sticks. Sure, sure. And mm-hmm. we would buy them and they would oil them so that they don't break easy and they, they hurt crack. a lot worse. Yeah. For just being kid. Like, you, but I had read something, so I know that there's a lot of, like, hearsay versus what really happened, which we were kind of talking yeah. about beforehand. So, I mean, is it really the thing that, like, the kids weren't allowed to really pretend and play and no, have toys? No, there's no playing. No, no toys. We, well, when I was really little, I think there was. Like, I remember that my mom had made me a Raggedy Ann doll. Oh, my God. And Best I loved it ever. so much. And I remember my grandfather got me a banana seat, um, strawberry shortcake bike. I remember learning how to ride it when I was like five. But then we, like, as the cult progressed into, Mm -hmm. they were called like the Northeast Kingdom Community Church is what people like referred to them as then. But they weren't really called anything. But as it went on, it became more and more structured and Mm. more and more things were taken away. Mm. And we couldn't ride bikes anymore. Uh, we couldn't have dolls. I remember I had to get rid of my Raggedy Ann doll, and I cried and cried. I was so sad. And the kids had to, you know, work. Like, you should be always working with your parents. Wow. You shouldn't be playing because that's dissipating. So what happens, like, I mean, I think about, you know, Cassidy. So Cassidy's three or whatever. Like, and, you know, they're maybe making, you know, I'm in the kitchen, I'm cleaning, or they're helping me with muffins, whatever. But everything turns into character so was that something that was just i don't know for lack of a better word like beat out of you or was i mean is that when things started yeah or was well it we like... also didn't watch tv at all sure we didn't have any like infiltration from the outside world mm-hmm. we were in our own little world and we were homeschooled and we had so we had like schools kind of because there were so many kids yeah mm-hmm. um and they had this guy that would go say that late. I do want to say that but later. Okay. So the disciplining children was way overboard. It was abuse. Mm-hmm. Severe abuse and people started visiting and started reporting this abuse. And um people were coming after my dad because he was second in command. Mm-hmm. And um you were saying but he didn't ever hit you though, right? He spanked me for well, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, we all got a wooden spoon over yeah, us, or, you know, here and there. But, but he yeah. wasn't abusive towards me at all. Yeah, no, no, no. He was like definitely like the the parent that gave me whatever I wanted. My mm. mom was the disciplinarian in our family. So when I was three years old, one day my mom tells the story. I was uh, in a little like baby training, is what they called it. They didn't call it school. They called school training. And uh, I was in this little baby training group next door to our house. And um, it was wintertime. And we were all like two, three years old. And the woman that taught us bundled us all up to go for a walk. And she went outside. There was like, I don't know, like 10 or 15 of us. And she just decided she didn't want to go. And she went back inside and unbundled us all. And later they said that was God, you know, leading her. But um, right after she went back inside, um, the police 
I think, two police officers, a social worker, and child services showed up at our house. And my mom answered the door. They didn't know it was her. And they said, we're looking for Kate Wiseman. And she said, oh, I saw her go that way. And she pointed in the opposite direction of the house where we were. Where you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had, um, they had like all the legal papers to take me, and they already had a foster family for me because there had been a report of abuse specifically on me by yep. my dad. Oh, was your dad trying to get you out? No, no. someone said that they saw my, oh, yes. okay. So a visitor oh, was visiting. Sure, 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 and okay. said they saw me not eating my food, and I was complaining, my dad took me to the bathroom. They heard some loud blows. And when I came back, I had blood dripping down my left leg. Yeah. But none of that was true. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I don't have any recollection of my dad beating me. Yeah. I mean, I do, actually. But not compared to how everybody else beat me. Gotcha. Jesus. And- um, so my dad. So anyway, my, there was a warrant out for my dad's arrest. Um, and a lot of there was a warrant out for like. Seven different elders arrests there. Okay. And um, some of them did get arrested and went to court. We fled. So did back the th- Spriggs flee also, or were they still there? No, they would. Ru- oh, they flew under the radar. Okay. So they were Big not. Time. They never had kids. All the blame was always on everybody else. No, they never had. Now, why didn't they ever have kids? Apparently, she couldn't have them. Okay. I don't know if that's true. Sure, sure. Gotcha, gotcha. So they just, okay, so you guys flee at this point. Yeah, so back then, like, the women, we dressed like Amish. And the women, so they they had started having, like, rules for how to dress when we went to Vermont. And the women had to cover their heads at all times because women are to be submissive to to the man. Sure. And the only way a woman could speak is if her head was covered. And she was in her place. Like in a, I'm, I'm sorry with my ignorance with the. No, I think no, just no, no. With like a, Those scarves. Scarves. Yeah. Okay. You tie okay. them under your, under your hair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Gosh. I remember my parents, my, my dad had this uh, Volkswagen rabbit, a two-door rabbit. Yeah. And Gina. My Marcia, dad had one of those too. <laughs> Gina Marcia, Marcia Spriggs had a four-door rabbit with no kids. And I always said, why don't we have the four-door? Right. <laughs> but by that time we had. Four kids in my family. My little brother, Zeb, had just been born. And I remember my parents pulling up in the side of... We were walking somewhere with some other adults. And my parents pulling up on the side of the road. And my dad had sunglasses on. And my mom had taken her head covering off. And I've never seen her like that. And they said, get in. <gasps> so we got in the back and they said, lay on the floor. Of the two-door... The two-door yes, rabbit. all four oh, of us rabbit. kids. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. So we laid on the floor and we went into hiding. We went to Bethlehem, New Hampshire, and stayed at these people's house that had just I was joined just the there call. last week. Beautiful <laughs> <laughs> town. Then we went up to Exeter, Maine, and we stayed in this cabin. It was beautiful. I remember it so well. This beautiful cabin. Um, well, the cabin wasn't beautiful. But what year is this now? Piece of property. Oh gosh, like eighty four ish. It was, was eighty two. Like- 82. Okay. Mm-hmm. 82 or 83? 82. And you were born in 79. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay. And then I, I, I never knew what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Like, Just everything was weird. I mean, I know it was really little, so I have very few memories. But 
I know I found out later my um, parents were trying. There was a woman whose husband, they had five kids, and the husband saw the bullshit and left and was trying to get custody of the kids. And he had taken all but one of them because Gina Marcia Spriggs was raising that girl, and they had had her in Europe. Is that the Thornberries or the... No, there uh, was the Matatals. The Matatals, okay. Yeah. So this was the cabin you were staying at, and it was only a mother and one... Well, it was just no, us. It was just, just my family. Okay, yeah. okay. And then I don't know where we went after that. Like, I just, wow. I, I just remember, like, spotty things. But I remember, so my parents were helping this woman get to Canada okay. with her daughter. Okay, 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 Because gotcha. she was wanted. Mm-hmm. And they all got arrested. The cops were after them. My mom, my parents spent the night in jail with my little baby brother. They tried to take my brother. My mom's like, he's nursing. You cannot take him. And where were you at? We were back in Island Pond you staying back in, with someone okay. else. Okay. But what ended up happening is that they felt that it was too dangerous for my dad to come back to the United States. So they went to Nova Scotia and like started a cult there. And this couple, we didn't even know what was going on. I just remember this other couple bringing my brothers, my two older brothers and I to Nova Scotia. I was four. Wow. Yeah. So you were, so you were separated from your parents at this. No, no. Yeah, you were, for a while, uh, for yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. All yeah, the yeah. time they would leave for weeks and we would be with other people. And but yeah. I remember my first scourging was in Nova Scotia. What now? What's a scourging? A scourging is when so I colored on the wall, mm-hmm. and a scourging is when you're you have to strip completely naked, and you lay on the bed and you get spanked oh. from your head to your toes, up and down your whole body, and my dad did that. Oh. For, for coloring, wow! Yeah, for coloring on the wall. Wow. I mean, I think of like, you know, Cassidy today, like on my couch with her pen. I'm like, you know better than that. Like, right? Like, you know, you squawk at him, but like, that's a perfectly normal. And for them not to take, for him to be a psychologist and to be not even taking child development into play here. That's the thing. They say like children are our most, our, our biggest priority. No. But they know, didn't treat them as no. they were the biggest priority. But I remember my mom would always try to do really special things. Like I remember on my fifth birthday, we were living in Nova Scotia. We were so poor. We would have, it was freezing cold. We couldn't even heat our houses. We had two houses. Well, you said for a while you guys were in tents, right? Well, that's later. Okay. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So we lived on Cape Sable Island and with, it was like a poor fishing village and I remember the fishermen would come over to our house and they were always drunk and always smoking cigarettes. And the next time I went to Tennessee to visit my relatives, my Aunt Gwen was smoking a cigarette. And I said, Aunt Gwen, if you don't stop smoking cigarettes, you're going to get drunk. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I remember on my fifth birthday, we had no money. We literally ate potatoes, biscuits. We would eat the roe. From the inside of the fish that they were going to throw away, that was our protein. Because we couldn't afford fish. How did your parents make money, or how did your dad, or when they? I don't were really know. Yeah, because I was so young. Mm-hmm. But I remember my mom putting me in the back seat of a bike and biking into town and going to the health food store and getting me some yogurt covered raisins for my birthday, and I felt so special because they didn't state. celebrate birthdays. Oh, you don't really? celebrate birthdays. Yeah, my parents would like sneak. Because my brother Nate, his birthday's four days before mine, 
And every birthday, we could share a pint of ice cream. But, like, we, ha- we couldn't tell anybody because that wasn't allowed. So were your parents very religious at this point when you were in Nova Scotia? Were they trying to— Very religious. Trying to um, recruit people like they were recruited with— Oh, them. yeah. Yeah. And did a big community come to Nova Scotia at this oh, yeah. point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not, no, no, no. It was just my parents. And then they were like evangelizing. Um, and these French families like that only spoke French. And my mom had the thickest Southern drawl you've ever heard. And they <laughs> she were... would, she'd be like, parlez-vous français? <laughs> so they were totally attracted. I mean, who wouldn't be attracted to that? You know, right. like, you're like, wow, I want this is cool. Yeah, my mom's from Arkansas, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so was your mom feeding the people? Like, how did, because I know there was a big restaurant that got started. Well, so. not then. Not so then, this okay. this is early in Nova Scotia when we were very, very poor. Then we moved to Tennessee with Gene and Marcia Spriggs, just my family and Gene and Marcia Spriggs. The next spring, we went down there. And we lived in a campground in tents. Was this after, like, all the, the heat was, like, after kind of... No, we were still hiding. That's why we went there and not back to Vermont. Okay. And one night, it's hard for me to understand this, how this happened. But one night, my brother Luke, let's see, I was five. So he was eight, almost nine. My brother Luke and Marcia Spriggs had the exact same dream. and. We lived in tents, so when my brother woke up, he was very troubled by his dream, and he was telling my dad, and Marcia Spriggs is in the tent next to us listening and was like, oh, my God, that is the verbatim, the dream I had. And he had a dream that the whole community was an island pond on the beach there, the, state, the town beach, holding hands, and a huge tidal wave came over them. And then when it went back out, they were all still standing, holding hands. So my dad and Jean Spriggs took that to mean that something was about to go down in Vermont and we needed to get back. Mm -hmm. So we left that day. Jean and Marcia Spriggs conveniently stalled. And we got back to Island Pond on a Monday. Oh, my God, I'll never forget this. And our whole family was staying in one room. And... On Friday morning at 6 a.m., we were up on the third floor. All of a sudden, we hear just just our door, like, getting beat down. Police, open the door. Um, they had been planning this for a long time, and the, 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 I, I'm pretty sure that the Vermont police got backup from other states. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they raided all 15 houses at the exact same time at 6 a.m. To wow. take all of the children, there were 112 children. And you were one of those. Yes, and I was so afraid. I remember my parents saying, we're not even dressed, wait. And they're like, no, we're not giving you time. And they busted right in the room. And uh, they thought that we had guns. They thought that it I was going to ask, yeah. like, if, if, you know, knowing, I guess this was way before Waco and all of that, yeah. but knowing, like, were they afraid so that you were? So that's the thing about this cult. It's very evil in a lot of ways, but they're not violent. Um, at all. They don't do any drugs or alcohol or anything. And, and they're not violent. Yeah. I mean, in that they're way, violent. they, they yes. don't have guns. They don't, sure. they don't, yeah. Not they want to trust God yeah, to like bring justice. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So 
I just remember like brushing my teeth in the bathroom and there was a police officer in the door. He wouldn't even let us shut the door. And he had a whole magazine of bullets. And I remember saying, what are all those batteries? Wow. And then they separated us from our parents and, you know, they had foster families for all of us. I mean, everything was. was. Wow. But um, so anyway, long story short, the judge that was presiding that day, Judge Mahady, threw out the case because they kept bringing kids in and searching them and they didn't find any marks. So they couldn't have proof of child abuse. But the thing is, is that we were beat on our butts by these rods. But when stuff started happening, like when they came to take me, they said, we can't let abuse be seen. So they started spanking us on our hands. And that doesn't leave bruises. Wow. Yeah. So that's why there were no bruises on any of the kids, because we have been being beat on our hands for the last year. Oh, my gosh. So how long were you in, in foster care? That, how long did that process take? No, it didn't. Take? Like, he didn't literally judge... threw it out that day. Okay. So there's so many sections to this, but at this part, we're going to uh, take a break, and we'll come right back. This episode of Female Centrics is sponsored by Lola. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and an all-natural cleansing wipes. Founders Jordana Kier and Alexandra Friedman started their company with a simple and seemingly obvious idea. Women shouldn't have to compromise when it comes to feminine care products. They asked themselves, if we care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the beauty products we use, why shouldn't the same be true of our feminine care products? Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. So no BS, mystery fibers, or doubts about what's going into your body. Plus, Lola products come in a simple, customizable subscription. Lola will deliver exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. Ladies, did you realize that the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products? So most of them don't. Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. The major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon and polyester. Their feminine care products may also be treated with harsh chemicals, cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes. Lola products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. They offer pads, liners, and both BPA-free plastic applicator or environmentally friendly non-applicator tampons as well. What I like best about this is that when you put an order in, they deliver it right to your door. It's a very discreet box, and also you can pick and choose what works for you that month. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to mylola.com, pick out what you want for your subscription, and then when you get to the checkout there, you want to enter the promo code FEMALE30, of course, that's female with a PH, for 30% off of your first month's subscription. It's a great deal. Again, visit mylola.com and enter FEMALE30 for 30% off your first month's subscription. Thanks. All right, we are back. And just over this quick break, uh, Kay had remembered something from when she was four. She wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit and share. And then we can hop ahead and go into what happened after you guys 
were taken for not even the 112 children were taken, though. So go ahead. Yeah. So my parents were gone for a month. And this is where you were living. I was living in Island Pond, Vermont. Okay. Mm -hmm. And because we traveled so much, we had this, these nannies, this woman and man um, traveled with my family and taught us. But at this time, we were in Island Pond, Vermont. And she was one of my teachers, and I was staying with her while my parents were gone. And um, I just remember my parents would always, they would write me a card every time they went anywhere. And my dad would write one side, my mom would write the other. I just remember missing them a lot. And I loved school. I loved it so much. I loved writing. I just, I loved everything about it. And I was learning to write. I was learning my letters. And I had homework, and I had to write. Um, stuff. I don't even know what I had to write, but whatever I wrote in my work, I made a capital G and I put the little line that goes in all the way to the back in all my G's. And the woman I was staying with, who was also my teacher, said, why did you, why did you make your G's like that? And I said, because I thought that's how you make G's. And she said, no. It's not. You're lying. You know how to make G's. And so we went to my classroom that was across town, really, really far walk. And we had um, school in the basement of this, like, creepy house. And on the other side of the basement, there was, like, a washer and dryer or maybe just washers. I don't even think we had dryers back then. And then it was, like, all this just, like, creepy... um, like crawl space, mm, nothing was finished. Old it was, house, yeah, like yeah, dirt floor. Extra, mm-hmm. So we got there, and she said, "I'm going to give you one last chance to admit that you were lying." And I said, "I wasn't lying. I really thought that's how you make G's." And so I had two other teachers, a guy and another lady, and they consulted together and decided to have me sit. This was early, early in the morning, like 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I, she didn't let me have breakfast because she told me that I was lying about the G's. Um, and Jeez. they put me back in that little crawl space where it was super dark behind the washer. And nobody else was out there. I was absolutely terrified. And they gave me a stack of papers and they told me to write G's. And I wrote G's all day long. I, ne- I didn't eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I was four years old. And you were four. Yep. And I wrote G's the right way. All day long. And um, so, like, school got over, and they were having, like, a parent. I'm uh, not a parent. They were having, like, a teacher meeting, like, mm-hmm. lesson planning. And I was still writing G's. And I was so scared. And then they came out and said, are you ready to admit that you lied? And I thought, if I don't say I lied, I'm going to stay here all night by myself, and they're going to go home. So I said, yes, I'm ready to admit it. I lied. I'm sorry for lying. And they all took turns. and. Beat me, all three of them. With these balloon sticks or just on um, your hands or that? Yes, with balloon wow. sticks. On my butt. No, on my butt. Yeah, okay. Um, and then the next morning, mm-hmm. this girl um, was doing my hair, this like 15-year-old girl. And I said, I can't wait till my mom and dad get home because I'm going to tell them what happened. Because I didn't lie. And when the lady that I was staying with walked back in the room... That girl who was doing my hair told me to leave the room, and I knew she was going to tell on me. And the lady came back in, and she said, come on, we're going to go for a walk. And we walked downtown, 
and she had me sit in the living room. I just remember it so clearly. And she went up and talked to like this elder there for a long time. And then he came down and he said, come here, come upstairs. And they had just got this uh, new, like, they heard from God or something to start beating us with these boards, like they call them paddles. They were thin pieces of wood and they were about like maybe an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch, quarter of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like four inches wide and like three feet long and they had a handle. And I had never seen one before or heard of them. And this one had holes drilled in it, like one inch size holes so that it goes through the air faster so it hits harder. And he said... You know what happens to liars? Um, they go to the lake of fire. What? Mm-hmm. And he told me to bend over and touch my ankles. And he wailed that thing on my butt many times. Ugh. And I never told my parents what happened because I was so terrified of getting that beating again. I never told them. Wow. How long till your parents came back after that? Like a week, maybe. God, and you just lived. Jesus. That's one of like five million things. Yeah. It's just these. Wow. Wow. They had a they had a guy, um, and his job was to go around and torture kids. Like one time, my relatives were visiting, and my dad said that I could go on a picnic with them, if I didn't have any homework, and of course. I never got to see my relatives. I want to go on a picnic. So I said, well, I do, but it's not due tomorrow. It was due tomorrow. So he's like, well, if it's not due tomorrow, then you don't have to do it today and come with a picnic. Went to school the next morning, and they said, where's your homework? And I said, my dad said I didn't have to do it today. So when they found out I had lied Normal to my dad. kid shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy came in our classroom. I was eight at the time. and. He had me hold a log, like a big log, like, you know, that you put in the fire up straight over my head for two hours in front of the whole classroom. I kept dropping it and I was like sobbing. My whole class was sobbing, even the boys. And I just kept dropping it because my arms were just dying and he would just like, hold that back up. And they were like, this is an example. This is what happens if you lie to your parents. And then um, this guy took me upstairs, another guy. And beat me with one of those paddles harder than I have ever been beat in my whole life to date. And sent me home and said I couldn't eat. I remember my mother coming in the room just bawling her eyes out saying, I wish so bad I can give you food, but I can't. And I stayed in my bed and didn't eat for three days. What? Yeah. Oh, they weren't allowing you to have food? No, no food. I could have water. For three days, I was eight. And then they had this like body meeting and they had me sitting in the living room and they had it was like a huge dining room and everyone was in there and they had all the doors shut and I remember this other woman in the house her mother was visiting from not in the cult and her mother couldn't be part of like the body meeting so she was sitting in the room where I was sitting in the living room with her grandkids and I remember throwing up stomach bile on the couch (gasps) Oh my! And gosh. I was so afraid that I was going to get in trouble. And she was too, the grandmother. She like helped me clean it up really quick before people saw it. And after the 
meeting was done. I miss, I like, I had been in bed for three days, not seeing my family. I really missed my family. Um, the woman who had gotten me in trouble, my teacher, she came and said, we need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And another one of the elders sat down and they said, we've decided that any child that could lie to their parent um, has a terrible relationship with their parent and um, we're not going to allow you to see or to talk to your anyone in your family, not your siblings or your parents ever again. What? Mm-hmm. It's such a morphed way of what they were they interpreting the Bible. That's what they that's yeah, like, how they were interpreting the Bible of this is what this is a necessity madness. for our 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 child. And I, I wonder how many because I know. Gene Spriggs had a pretty awful upbringing, right? Like he was. I don't really pretty, know a lot about his yeah, upbringing. Just from I, I want to say from one of the podcasts I listened to about they, he had a very horrific upbringing of beatings. Which and makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It makes sense, and this is how you know you just have this cycle of people who. And there were other people who were having visions, or they were all coming down from Gene. No, everything from Gene. Everything, everything always, from Gene. Yeah. Okay, so even anything that your father it wasn't necessarily that it was. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Gene wrote all the teachings, always. So yeah. I know, my dad was like his little bitch. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, he was like his right hand man Still who is. was able to do. Yeah, who. I think you have to have somebody to kind of help you because henchmen, right? Yeah. They call it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so my, my were... dad was always gone. Like he's he went and started the the cults in Europe and like he he was just always gone when I was little. So you were talking about going to Nova Scotia. I know was that. So was that when you went? Well, to... I want to finish this story oh, yes, about yes, not yes, telling. Yeah. Oh yes, not yes, seeing yes. my parents. Mm-hmm. So, um. I, at this time in my life, my mom was teaching, and my little brother, Hananiah, was a year and a half old, and he would come home from what they called baby training, like the little preschool, before my mom. And I got home before my mom, too, every day, because she was a teacher, so she had to, like, and I would take him, I would feed him lunch, like, he was, like, my little baby, and I would put him down for a nap. I know I was only eight, but that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Well, they told me that I couldn't talk to my parents or anyone in my family. And I just remember, um, <laughs> so the cult also, another weird thing is that they change people's names. They give everybody a Hebrew name. So I got the name Ta'ara when I was seven. Ta'ara? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my little brother called me Ara. And I just remember him coming and seeing him in the dining room. And he'd be like, Ara, Ara. And I just remember running out crying because I couldn't believe I couldn't talk to my own brother. And after, so I stayed with this family, the lady who had gotten me in trouble. And um, it was awful because I would see my parents every day. I would see my whole family going on walks. And my parents would just look at me like I was like an alien from (gasps) Mars and not speak to me for two months. You were shunned for lying, but you didn't lie. Like that was the thing. Well, I did lie, but I told a little white lie. Yeah. Um. And so one day, my dad had an office down at the print shop. And the guy that I um, was staying with, the couple I was staying with, he did the books for the whole community. And so he had an office down in the same building. And I would go down with him. He was really nice. And um, he did, like, odd jobs for people. And I remember going to, like, this lady's house, and she gave me ice cream, and we never had ice cream. So I I kind of liked it, but I missed my family so, so much. Yeah, yeah. 
so finally I I was sitting there and I was like, I didn't, I was trying to get up the nerve to ask. I knew I wouldn't ask his wife because they said I could never talk to my family again, ever. And I just said, can I please just write a letter to my dad and put it in his office? And he was like, yeah. So I wrote a letter to my dad and I hung it on his bulletin board in his office. And he came in right after that. And all of a sudden, in like two, in like an hour, that woman who told me I could never talk to my parents again, she said, we've been waiting for this for two months. I said, are you serious? Like, what, I thought I would get beat fuck. if I asked to see my family. Such a mind you, you fuck, fuck of yeah. all fucks. Yeah, like, just yeah, a... Yeah. And my poor mother. The manipulation, uh, I mean, I just... it. It's astounding. Yeah. The amount of days that I spent either locked in rooms or on my bed without food would blow your mind. And this was like all the kids. Yeah. Like it just wasn't, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. And this was all the time for you. Like it just, yeah. that's, that was a normal was thing. Like, Fear was kind of their main, it sounds like their main driver of. Very much so. Yeah. Keeping you. And then right after that, we moved back to Nova Scotia. And for the first time, so my brother, my oldest brother was starting to get into some trouble. Mm -hmm. And not real trouble, but But. Now at this point, is this like where you're about to start into? Is this pre or post the 112 kids? Oh, it's way post. I'm so sorry. No, no, that's okay. Okay, so we're, because that's where we had kind of, we had backed up and then come back. we need to come back to that? No, 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 it's okay. That's just kind of where we were at. The case got dropped. Yeah, the case got dropped. Okay, so the case got dropped at that point and then you guys moved up to no, no, no. no. Okay. um, No, we stayed in Island Pond. Okay. And then this is when we're about to move back. So right after I could start seeing my family again. Okay. My dad and my brothers went to Nova Scotia because we had just built a bought uh, an old schoolhouse. It's beautiful, beautiful old schoolhouse with this beautiful like cupola, and they decided to build a huge addition, like three times the size of it, on the back and make a big restaurant. So my brothers and my dad went for like six weeks, and then my mom and my little brothers and I. Um, went to meet him and he the reason they were doing that is my dad was on discipline for his children being out of line but it was the best thing that ever happened to our family because he didn't travel anymore oh. he stayed there and built the restaurant and we were all together it's literally my most fond memories of my entire childhood yeah are yeah, these yeah. next two years that we lived there um we lived in tents in the backyards in the no, in the woods we owned 50 acres just in the woods. Absolutely beautiful. And it was right on, like, right in front of our house was the ocean. And, really? Oh, my God. It was so beautiful. Is yes. that property still in the no. cult family? No. 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 So a private family so, or whatever owns it now. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, it... Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, um, we lived in tents until the snow fell. I remember when we couldn't have any food in our tents. Um, my brothers, Eb and I shared a tent. My two older brothers shared a tent. And then my parents and my little brother had one of those tiny little like Eureka, um, <laughs> you know, triangles. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I remember being in my mom's bed because my dad would pull all nighters all the time. They were trying to get this restaurant open. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tent. The, the tent is like, so 
pitched. If you're along the side, it's touching you. you yeah, know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The roof of it. And I remember my mom was changing my brother's diaper, and the rain fly was down a little bit so she could see. And she said, Shh, don't move. And we could hear this just like thumping really loud through the shrub, like through the branches and everything. And this huge mother bear came <gasps> right against the tent and brushed my arm. Oh my God. And I was just holding my breath. Whoa. My brother and I had an apple tree outside of our tent. And in the fall, the apples started falling and deer would come and eat it. And we would hear all these noises at night. And almost every morning, we would open our tent and there would be a huge pile of bear poop still steaming. Wow. Yeah. Like claiming territory. Yeah. There were huge coyotes up there. It was wow. really cool. Yeah, yeah, So anyway, my parents, so my mom was busy with- Now, and still during all this, you guys aren't allowed to play? No, we're working. Pretend. We're working. Jesus. Big time working. working my brothers like... were 10 and 11, uh-huh. and they were- building the restaurant with my dad every day. We didn't have school up there. They quit school. And I miss school so bad that yeah. I would write my teachers in Island Pond and they would send me lesson plans in the mail. I mean, not lesson plans. They would send me lessons yeah. and I would do them and send them back and they would, oh my God. they would like check my work. Yeah. That's why you're still in school. Right? Yeah. Oh, surprised. <laughs> so funny. Anyway, um, so my mom was like making recipes and all that stuff while my dad was building the restaurant. And then when it opened, it seated 450 people. It made Best of Nova Scotia like several years in the in a row. Does with Nova like the Scotia center. have a big tourist? Uh, yes. It does. Yes. Yeah. So we had huh. a huge parking lot and we would have multiple tour buses every day coming what? in the summer. Yeah. And huh. my, so my best friend Tabitha, I was nine or eight when the restaurant, opened. I was nine when it opened. Yeah. And she was eight. And we ran my chore every morning. I had to make mayonnaise because we made our own mayonnaise for our sandwiches. There were nine dinners on the menu. And I would help my mom every single day from like 6 a.m. to like midnight we were in there. Yeah. I mean, she would let me to go, go to bed earlier sometimes, but like she was there that late and sometimes I was. On your feet the mm-hmm. whole time? Were there breaks or was it oh, like... No. So in addition to making mayonnaise every morning, I made coconut cream pie. That was my chore. And then my friend Tabitha and I, we ran the pizza and salad room. Okay. Like that was a separate room where we made everything. We had like... I don't know how many different salads. I can't remember, like eight or nine salads, same amount of pizzas. And these salads, my mom was so particular. We had to wash by hand and spin the lettuce. And we had like five different types of lettuce mm. that we would mix together. And did you guys- And like, we had to crunch it all by hand. Oh, what? Did, so did you guys grow these vegetables? Or no, did you, we didn't no, grow. No. Okay, no. so it wasn't like we a farming delivered. community. No. Sure, sure. But mm-hmm. we prepped it, yeah, and, yeah. it and made the, in, in like the lunch rush. I mean, we- Tabitha and I at eight and nine so did what, it by ourselves. And there are tour buses coming in yep. to like, let's go see at the little kid oh, restaurant. We, were, like we, what? we would be completely packed out, 450 people. Wow. So we had like the restaurant part and then we had a store and then we had this huge round room. And that's where we would put the tour buses because it would just overpower the restaurant. 
Now, how often were you guys scooping up people out of the tour buses? Oh, I don't know if they really. Yeah. It's more like older people on, you know. Gotcha. It just got a lot of publicity for okay. us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. big money maker. And then we would do these summer fests and people would come up with the bus from Boston. The bus. Yeah, the bus. Yeah. And like, like the first bus and play music and dance. We would have these festivals and all these people would come and we did a winter fest, the same thing. And just to like attract and this is while you guys were kind of scooping up grateful dead fans and stuff then or is this kind of like right before that yeah i think it kind of started Started to kind of go that way okay Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um but not huge yeah Mm -hmm. and then um so the restaurant's going really well yeah and my mom is working just you know like 20 hours a day Mm -hmm. and she was sick. She was very young. She was like 36 years old. She had three really bad miscarriages right in a row. Oh, wow. And her third miscarriage, um, I remember it so clearly. She, like, she put the little fetus in a jar of alcohol and dissolved the blood clot. And it was like a textbook baby with the placenta that umbilical cord and it was a girl and i have no sisters like all i had was at that point i had four brothers so she was very sick like deathly sick and she hadn't been that sick with the rest of us so they knew something was wrong delivering babies up to this point too so doing restaurant delivering babies as well throughout okay wow okay um so she was still sick and throwing up. Next thing she knew, she's feeling the baby kick, but she had miscarried. So my baby brother was a twin. Oh, and she miscarried. Mm-hmm. But her pregnancy, she was so sick. She could not keep anything down. And finally, they realized that she could not be working those hours. She was in a lot of pain. Um, I don't know a lot because she kept a lot from me. Um. But when she went into labor, so right before my brother was born, they discovered a tumor on her cervix the size of a big marble. Okay. By the next week, it was the size of a golf ball. By the next week, it was the size of a lemon, literally. While she was... She was pregnant. She was about to have him. And by the time he was born, which was the next week, it was the size of a grapefruit. Now, did she, was she going to the hospital? Was no. she getting regular no. care? None. So was, how did they realize? So they yeah. didn't believe in going to the doctors. Nobody ever went to the doctor. Ever. So how did they know that the tumors were? They could feel it. Like her midwife could feel it when she was, you know, checking for dilation mm-hmm. and effacement. Sure. And um, they should have gone to the hospital because she couldn't even dilate to have my brother. And she was in labor and extremely hard labor for 64 hours oh my 64 mm-hmm. hours and i was just at a 55 hour birth and i can't even fa- like fathom going another hour wow and she was so weak yeah and you know they chalk it up to god my dad says he put his hand on the small of her back and said to god like she can't do this anymore do something we need a miracle and she stood up and like had the baby but she did have him Yeah. then. And right after that, I remember she always would read the Merck manual. She was 
loved like medical stuff and oh, nutrition. Okay. Sure. I mean, we would go and harvest squavine for the women to drink squavine tea because at the end of your pregnancy and nettles and red raspberry leaf, we would harvest all that ourselves and dry it to make tea for the pregnant women like my whole life. Um, anyway, so my mother had read her symptoms before, but she hadn't seen anything. And again, they chalked this up to God. But right after my brother was born, she and her best friend looked and was like, it's cancer. Mm. So huh, this is so typical for the, for the cult, not care about women or children. Yeah. Uh, my dad was called to go to Europe for six weeks. And he left right after my little brother was born. And my mom was so sick. I remember during her pregnancy, my mom would never take any painkillers or anything. During her pregnancy at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she would drink a cup of black tea. To help with her pain. I never asked where the pain was or what it was. I wish I had. And black tea. Like that's. I know. Because the caffeine. Cause caffeine would restrict well, it a little bit. because you're not allowed to bit. drink coffee in the cult. Sure. Yeah. Can't drink coffee. Yeah. No. Can't eat chocolate because it's an, I don't know, aphrodisiac. Anyway. So when my dad came back from, so, so the whole time that my dad was gone. Oh, I, I failed to mention this. Uh, my baby brother was my 10th birthday present. If she hadn't had cancer, he would have been born on my birthday, probably. Um, but he was born the day after I turned 10. And um, when my dad got back from Europe six weeks later, my mom went to Boston to meet him because he flew into Boston so that they could go to the doctor because yeah. she knew something was very mm -hmm. wrong. And we didn't know anything. I was in Nova Scotia and... It's funny because I wonder if I sensed something. They sent me to the farm over by Halifax and I was with this couple and I was really sad, really, really sad. Mm -hmm. I missed my parents. I wanted to be with them. I had been away from them a lot of my life, but those two years in Nova Scotia, I was always with them. And so I really, really missed them. And I remember finally after like two weeks, um, one of the guys, the elders there told me that I, that I was the serpent himself. And they beat me. And he said, because I'm not smiling. Yeah. And the people I was staying with said, we should have beat you the day you got here. Because I started smiling profusely, of course. Mm. But after Jesus. three weeks, yeah. I got a call that my parents were coming back to Nova Scotia that night to get the more stuff but they weren't going to have time to come see me and they were going back to Boston. Wow. And I lost, I just lost it. I was just yeah. sobbing and sobbing. And the couple that told me, they were the, they were the same couple that traveled around with us when we were young mm -hmm. and I was really close with them. And they called my parents, the, the man called my parents and said, um, you can't, you cannot leave her here another day. You have to come get her. Oh. And so they came and got me in the middle of the night. And we went to Boston, mm. and that's when it was very confusing for me. I remember my mom nursing my brother, Ashar. He was so skinny, and he cried all the time. And she would just nurse him and nurse him. And she had had so much milk. Like, she would mm. nurse other people's babies in past years, you yeah. know, with my other siblings. Um, and I just remember her crying and crying and telling me to go get one of the other women. And I went and got them, another woman who had had a baby around the same time. And I just remember her just sobbing, saying, can you please nurse my baby? Yeah. 
And she nursed him, and he ate like he had never eaten, and he fell asleep and slept for hours. And I just remember my mom sitting there. She knew I'll never forget was it. Wrong. She was sobbing like unconsolably. Mm-hmm. Just she's like, I can't even feed my baby. Yeah. And so we had to start putting him on goat's milk, and and then I remember seeing my mom crying. She had been crying for days. She and my dad were like walking around Jamaica. Jamaica Pond, and I was with other people, and they kept saying, well, your parents are spending time together. And I'm like, my parents never do that. Mm-hmm. And every morning before they left, I would go into their room, and my mom was crying. And I would always say, what's wrong? And she wouldn't tell me. And this was, ha- this was like four days in a row. Mm-hmm. And we were in Boston for a few weeks before she got her diagnosis. But like, okay. this is right when she got her diagnosis. For four days, they processed. Yeah. And then I remember her. She wanted to go for a walk with me. And we put my brother in the stroller and we started walking and she started crying and she said, I have cancer. But like, I mean, that's like telling me you have a cold. I had no idea what that even meant. I was so sheltered. Nobody in the cult had cancer. And I was like, why are you sad? Like, what does that Mm -hmm. mean? And she was like, well, you know, hopefully God can heal me. And they had basically told her that. She, God gave her cancer because they, they literally told her this. God gave her cancer because she was an overprotective mother, because she stood up when Albert Spriggs was beating me a couple years before. She said, I don't understand why the punishment is so harsh when I was like six years old. I don't remember it. Yeah. But they said that she was overprotective of her children and that she didn't allow God's hand in her children's life. And that's why God gave her cancer. So if she wants her kids to have hope of salvation, she better trust God because God knows if she can change. If she can't change, he'll take her life. So she refused all treatment. And at that point, she could have had a total hysterectomy mm-hmm. and, and lived, mm-hmm. most likely. Um, and she just got sicker and sicker. We stayed in Boston the rest of that year. And then we were going to move to Missouri to start a new cult with my mom being sick. Mm-hmm. And we went up to Vermont for a couple of weeks um, while we were waiting for the transportation. And I remember the, these people's room we were staying in. My mom was always so nice. She, she, we were about to leave the next day. So she shampooed their whole carpet and um, mm-hmm. I remember shampoo was like three inches thick over the whole carpet. Ugh. And she sat down to eat some lunch. She had been working. And uh, someone knocked on the door. And she stood up to go answer the door. And I remember the look on her face. She stopped dead in her tracks. And she just said, come in with like a shaky voice. And she looked at me like she didn't want to scare me. And it was a woman. And she said, I'm hemorrhaging. You need to call my husband and you need to call Billy and tell them they need to get here immediately. And I looked down and she was just pouring blood all over the floor. Oh my. She stood up and and that was the beginning of the end. She never got out of bed after that. That was in January. We never went anywhere. We stayed in Island Pond and she tried to do this natural like thing and she never stopped bleeding. So she would have to go um, to the hospital twice a week and get blood. And she did do that. Yeah. Until she died. Wow. So at that point, she was very sick. And my little brother was um, not even a year old. 
um, the whooping cough went around, and all of us kids got it. Because none of you guys were vaccinated. None of us were vaccinated. We did take antibiotics, though, at that time. Um, And one little girl, my teacher's daughter, she was like two. She got it, and she was very, very sick, and they called my mother over. My mother was very sick, too, and she went over to see her, and... Like, when she got into the room, the little girl died. She, like, died in her arms, in my mother's arms. Yeah. Wow. So that was sobering because it was my teacher's daughter, and I, I was, like, felt, like, in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then my mom was very, very sick. So I started doing everything in my family. I mean, I already did a lot, mm-hmm. but like I raised my little brother. He would get up every morning. <laughs> he was so cute. He'd have a huge poop in his pants, stand up on his crib and be like, eat. <laughs> he loved to eat. I'd make him cream of rice every morning. And um, I was super attached to him. He was literally like my son, yeah. even though I was only 11. 11 yeah. Well, not even 11 at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess he wasn't even a year yet. And um so I guess he didn't do that yet, but you know that sure, that yeah. happened. Yeah. While my mom was sick, and so we stayed there. Mom got sicker and sicker, super weak. She couldn't get out of bed. She was like eighty pounds. Um, and then in the summer, her organs started to shut down. And um, Jesus, it's like this super slow. Uh, yeah. Ugh. She never. She hadn't told her family. She told her mother. Just a couple weeks before she died. And so my aunts and my grandmother and everybody just dropped what they were doing and drove up from Tennessee and spent um, a week. And they left five days before she died. But my dad, they didn't prepare us. My dad kept saying, she's getting better. God's healing her. I remember two months, exactly two months before she died, we would have these big celebrations on Friday nights and everybody would go down to the celebration center. And I stayed home to stay with my mom and my dad stayed home and he was in his office right next to their bedroom and I was in her room with her and she started crying and she said, I'm going to die in two months. I want you to have, you know, this. It was like your great grandmother's and she would giving me the history of everything Mm -hmm. and I started crying and I was like, no, you're not going to die. And I went and told my dad. I was like, mom said she's going to die. And my dad came and rebuked her for not having faith. And she repented. When like you how they would call it. What is rebuke? And I'm for like, like, like no, you do not talk like, yeah, yeah like in the, that's gotcha. a community term. Sure, sure. You know, but like scolding. Yeah. And then she apologized and. But she died exactly two months later. So anyway, dad kept saying, she's being healed. She's being healed. She passed all these tumors. Like, God's hearing our prayers. She's not going to die. And I'm 11 years old. I believe what I'm told. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I remember, like, I'll never, ever stop feeling guilt over this. But I had spent the weekend with my best friend, Sharon, at her house. And I got a message. It's because my mom knew she was dying. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a message that my mom wanted to spend the day with me. And I was like, Ugh, I don't want to see my mom. She just lays in bed all day. Like, I don't want to. And I had such a bad attitude. But I went and did it anyway. And this was, so she still, well, she wasn't bedridden at this point. Um, it was the last walk I ever took with her. 
And I had an attitude the whole time, yeah. and I feel horrible. I just remember she had this beautiful lavender dress on with like a bib top, and she took me up to this up this hill and picked me a bouquet of lily of the valley, and gave it to me. And she's like telling me like everything she loves about me, and she had made me this cross stitch that said, "To have a daughter is to know special joy." Mm-hmm. Years later, my foster mother would steal that from me and never give it back. So I, I don't have that, but, um, yeah, but anyway, so I I was the mother of our family, you know, doing all the laundry and taking care of my mom. And we had people in our household too, to take Mm -hmm. care of us. Um, that whole summer, they would never let me see my mom. I would come home from school, be like, I would go to go in my mom's room. They'd be like, your mother's resting. You can't go in there. And it was really difficult. I, I didn't have really any guidance. People yeah. were so concerned of my mom that I was kind of lost in the shuffle, you know, sure. with my little baby brother. And so out of the blue, you know, because I think mom's getting better, none of us got to say goodbye. Um, I remember that morning she was going to get blood, August 20th, and we were having the our homeschool program was getting um, like certified. The state of like the board, the education board of Vermont was coming to look at all of our classes and look at the curriculum to for us to be registered as a private school. Mm-hmm. And my dad was in charge of that. So I remember he was really busy. And um, that morning, I don't know what I had done, but my dad had beat me for something. Mm-hmm. And I was crying, walking to school. And I walked up. And, you know, the, the bridge, like in Island Pond, you go over this bridge, like this it's okay. <laughs> train track bridge. And um, I was dra- I was walking up. I was at the corner and my dad pulled up and my mom was in the back of this old station wagon. I remember she had her pink, her pink robe on and I was crying and I was just looking at her and she said, smile, be happy. And that was the last time I ever saw her. So then that day at two o'clock in the afternoon, my dad was having lunch at the restaurant with all these um, those, like board of directors for like the, you know, board of education sure. of, for Vermont. And um, my mom was at the hospital getting blood and she had a massive heart attack and she survived it. And they said, um, they called my dad and said, if we keep giving her blood, she's probably going to have another one and if we stop she's definitely going to die Mm -hmm. so what do you want to do and that just on the spur of the moment he was like well keep giving her blood so he rushes to the hospital and she really wanted to die at home she wanted to die at home so bad i didn't even know they ever talked about dying yeah but i found out later that people kept telling my dad you need to tell your kids they need to be able to say goodbye but he wouldn't um but I remember my brother Luke telling me, if mom dies, I'll know there's no God. He was 14. Mm. And um, anyway, she had another massive heart attack at 6 p.m. And she survived that. And they said the doctor said she could go home because she wanted to die at home. But she had to go in an ambulance. So they brought the ambulance. <laughs> That's another thing. The cult ran the ambulance. They were like the paramedics for the town what? of Island Pond. And like, what? yeah, one of the... F- like huh. one of the cult guys was the fire chief. They always would do this like services for the community sure. so that the community would love, love. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. So two of the cult guys drove the ambulance to Newport, Vermont to pick up my mom. 
And 10 minutes before they got there, she had another massive heart attack and died. And you were home for that, not yes. with her, because she was at the hospital. Is that right. what you said? Yeah, okay, I was at home. okay, and I sure. remember saying, when is my mom getting back? Because I, I would always stay up till she got home. And she never got home this late. I was like, where's my mom? Why, why aren't they home yet? Yeah. And people were like, Shh, you just need to go to bed. Your dad wants you to go to bed. They're going to be home later than normal. Um, they wanted me to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. And then the next morning, I remember this lady came in my room. I shared a room with her three girls who tormented me. Um, and... She said, you, you need to get up. Your dad wants to talk to you. Get up and go in your parents' room. Your dad wants to talk to you right now. And her girls were like, they knew that something had happened. I think they knew she had had a heart attack, but I didn't. They were like, how's Mary? How's Mary? And uh, she wouldn't answer him. I just remember her saying, oh, I'm so tired. And I thought, why isn't she answering them? And she laid down in between their beds and said, don't say another word. I didn't hear her say that. So I got up and I went in my dad's room and my mom was always in bed there and the bed was made and me and my brother Nate got called in at the same time. My brother Luke was already in there and I could, he looked like he had seen a ghost and I just said, where's mom? And then I said, oh, is she in so-and-so's room? She never was in anybody else's room. I wonder if I subconsciously Mm -hmm. didn't want to hear, Yeah, but I don't feel like I, it never crossed my mind that she would have died. And he said, she died last night. Just like that. Just very nonchalant, like very, was he processing it? Like was he? No, not well at all. So then we had my little brothers come up and he wanted us all to be there to tell them. And when he told them, my brother Zeb was seven. My brother Luke looked at him and said, be tough. And so he laughed. He never cried. Yeah. Mm. Um, and my brother Hanan just kept saying, why did she die? He was like, she died in August and he turned four in November. So it was right before he turned yeah. four. Why did she die? Um, and then we went downstairs to where everyone was having breakfast and everybody was crying. They had told everyone well. And my dad just said, it would help me if y'all would not mourn for my wife. You gotta like move on. Move on. That was... Mm-hmm. Wow. But then he wasn't okay. Like I yeah. had seen him cry like once in my whole life. And I, I just remember him leaning over in their rocking chair and you could have put a bucket under his. Yeah. And he just had his hands and his, and his, his head in his hands, just weeping for do days. You think, do you think your dad ever after your mom died, maybe thought question God or did that? Never. It didn't even. I mean, if he did, he didn't let on. He didn't let on. Yeah. Also, um, another sad but kind of cool fact is um, she died one day after their 18th anniversary. Wow. Um, So I know at this point there was, we're going to take a break because I know at this point there was a huge shift in in what happened in your life. So yeah, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This concludes part one of our interview with Kate Wiseman. So thank you for joining us. And just as a reminder, we are part of the Osiris Podcast Network. So if you want to check out some more amazing podcasts from Osiris, go to osirispod.com. And uh, join us next time around for part two of our interview with Kate Wiseman. Peace.